Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. On behalf of Pastors David and Nicole Binion, thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church. Now, let's listen to today's message. So good. Wow. There's such a insatiable hunger in the room. Can you just feel it during worship? Just, I just, just feel just such a, a pull in the room for the more of God. And you know, this, this week, I don't really have prophetic dreams that often, maybe once every few years, but I've had like a prophetic dream every day this week um, when I've been sleeping. It's like, it's amazing. Um, but, but every night it's almost like, um, I'm, I'm back, like my, my the first night I was back at my, my bedroom in my parents' house on the floor where the Lord used to meet me. And then the next night uh, I'd be in our apartment in Reading. And in that apartment, there was just such deep encounters where the Lord met us there. And, and in, that, in that dream, I was going through different rooms of that apartment and each room represented a different encounter. And I remember taking other people, younger people into each room, showing them my encounters. And so I wanna sh- share some encounters this morning. Is that okay? Yeah, you know, I love, I love prophecy so much. Very few things have really truly impacted my life more than prophecy. Prophecy is what tethers us to the heart of God. Even, I love what we were singing this morning. It was all about Jesus. Even prophecy is not about prophecy. Prophecy is about Jesus. Prophecy is about connecting people to the heart of God. <laughs> and and my, my first encounter with the prophetic I was really young, I was about six years old and I remember it so vividly, I remember being in children's church and uh, the children's pastor was giving the altar call and it was almost like the mouth of God was speaking directly into my heart saying, go, go, give your life to me. And I just felt just the wind of heaven over my heart. And I remember that was the first time I, that was when I gave my life to the Lord. And when I was seven years old, I remember there was a, a prophet coming to speak at my home church in Colleen, Texas. And I, I remember telling my mom this, there was just this knowing in my heart and I verbalized it as a seven-year-old. I told my mom, that prophet has a word for me. <laughs> He's gonna call me out and I wanna be in main service. Don't send me to children's church that night. I wanna be in main service. And so I remember so clearly, uh, dressing up in this navy blue suit. And I remember <laughs> grabbing this huge Dakes Bible in my parents' uh, bookshelf. And uh, how many of you know what a Dakes Bible is? They are massive. I just thought uh, the bigger the Bible, the more anointed it must be. <laughs> so <laughs> I carried this, this Dakes Bible into, into service. And I remember so clearly walking into the, the prayer meeting before service. And oh my goodness, it was just like... Uh, the, the room was bathed in the glory of Jesus is all I can say. There was just this overwhelming sense that God is here. God is here. And 
Sure enough, the, the prophet began uh, giving out words and he called me out as a seven-year-old and gave me this word over my life that, that marked me forever. It was almost like this, this blueprint that would really guide the rest of my life. And I believe uh, because I met the presence of God through that prophecy at such a young age, it kept me and tethered me all the days of my life. That's why I never had a, and I'm not perfect, but I never had a taste for the world when I was in high school. I just never had a taste for the voice of a stranger because when I was so young, I learned the voice of my father. <laughs> and then prophecy is so important. That's why I, I love, I have such a passion for young people, teenagers, to have an environment for them to be connected to the presence of God because when they are marked by his voice, that will keep them to when they go to college and they're bombarded and inundated with what, is, what culture is trying to inundate this generation with. And that's why I always, I always tell parents, when choosing a church, don't choose a church uh, based on the best entertainment. <laughs> entertainment will fade, but encounters will keep them forever. That, that is the firm foundation, encounter with Jesus. And the prophetic is what reveals the heart of God to us. And that's why uh, prophecy, I believe, it's not a suggestion for us as believers. I don't believe it's like, it's not for us to decide, oh, I, I wanna prophesy or I don't. It's commanded, 1 Corinthians, eagerly desire the gifts of the spirit, especially prophecy. It's not a suggestion, it is a command for us to walk in the heart of God. It's revealing the heart of God. And, and that word I got, I almost, to this day, every day in my prayer time, I almost daily, I listen to that word. I listen to it almost daily because with, with everything that the Lord entrusts you with, you'll realize that you can't afford to have a cold heart. You can't afford to have dark places or fractures in your soul because if, if the magnitude of, of the call on your life is greater than the magnitude of your character, it will crush you. <laughs> And so that's why it's so important to understand what God is saying over your life. And I realize I cannot afford to have a thought in my mind about me that he doesn't have in his mind about me. <laughs> I can't afford it. I learned that at any point in time, I'm always about 15 to 20 minutes away if I go down the, the wrong thought process, process is 15 to 20 minutes away from fear, anxiety, depression, torment, all of that stuff, if I follow the wrong thought patterns. <laughs> and guess what? It takes me about a week or two to get back to normal and to get my mind renewed. It's just not even worth going down that road. And so that's why prophetic words, it is crucial that these are not just things we put on a spiritual trophy shelf. These are weapons that we have to wage warfare. These are, this is ammunition that you have in your arsenal. Prophetic words, prophetic words. And so uh, just a, just an intro to prophecy. Pastors David and Nicole did such an awesome job these last couple of weeks just laying the foundation. And so this morning, I just really wanna build upon the foundation they laid. And with prophecy, I realized that most churches don't talk about prophecy. <laughs> can, we, can we be honest? It's just one of those topics that we don't talk about. And I, I think the reason that we don't talk about it is because we don't really understand it. <laughs> 
You know, we, we as humans, we will always reject what we don't understand. And, and prophecy in, in much of the church, there's this like almost mystical, wizardy connotation that it has that, uh, that, that is really does not line up with the word of God. And so this morning, I really wanna just demystify prophecy and show you how simple it is to, to just get close to the heart of God and release his heart over others. I've been teaching on prophecy to our teenagers. And I asked them, raise your hand if you believe you can hear the voice of God. You know, about half of them raised their hand. They're kind of like iffy, I'm not sure. And then I asked them this, I said, uh, raise your hand if you got hungry or thirsty today. And everybody, of course, obviously raised their hands. And I said, if your body speaks to you and tells you when it's hungry, how much more does the creator of the universe speak to your hearts on a daily basis? And with prophecy, I don't believe the question is, is God speaking? I believe the question is, are our hearts tuned to the frequency of his voice? Are our hearts tuned to the frequency of his voice? And you know, in the book of John, Jesus is referred to as the word, <laughs> the word. So in my mind, this is how my mind thinks, if someone's name is the word, it's impossible for someone whose name is the word to never speak. <laughs> His name is the word. Words naturally come to him. The question is not, is he speaking right now? It's, are we close to his voice? And, and if we want to be hot in prophecy, we cannot be cold in intimacy. See, when you get his heart, guess what? You'll get his voice. <laughs> If I want to hear the voice of Emily, guess what? I get close to her heart. There's about an 18 inches between the heart of someone and their mouth. If you want the voice of God, get close to the heart of God. To be lovers of the voice of Jesus, I want to suggest we must be lovers of the heart of Jesus, people of his presence, pursuing his heart. And I believe this really encompasses what Jesus calls the first and second greatest command. How many of you are familiar with when Jesus is asked, what, what, is, what is the greatest command? He says, the first and greatest command, notice not the first and greatest suggestion, but the first and greatest command is to love the Lord with all your heart. And much of the, the church thinks of that as more of a state of mind rather than a way of life. Like, oh yeah, I love the Lord, but no, love is laying yourself at the altar, praying, giving, ministering to his heart. It's actually communing with heaven. Loving the Lord is through prayer and worship. And the second command, he says, is to love your neighbor as yourself. And I've heard many people say, I'm, I'm more of a second command person. I, I, like, the, I like the street evangelism and the, the missions and all that. And, I, and I'm like, I like that too, but you don't get to choose one or the other. If you are hot here, you'll be hot over here. <laughs> if you are digging into the first command, loving the Lord, I believe prayer always will precede the prophetic. You can't get one without the other. If I am, if I am doing the first command, loving the Lord in prayer, prophetic, street evangelism, missions will naturally flow out of me. It'll, it'll come naturally. And that's, that's the emphasis Jesus gives the first and greatest command. And Pastor David shared last Sunday, if we wanna be effective in prophecy, we must be lovers of the secret place. It's a non-negotiable. We must be lovers of the secret place. And uh, 
In other words, Jesus was saying here in the first and greatest command, if you wanna love people best, put it in the DNA of your soul to love me first. See, it's called a commission for a reason. There are two people involved in the commission. It's you and the Lord. And the worst thing we can do is go on a commission with distance between us and the master. It's called a commission for a reason. And, and I remember in our time at, at Bethel, Pastor Bill would share this story of uh, the early days of the church. The glory of God had started breaking out and there were signs and wonders happening, but there was not much happening outside of the walls of the church. They were really good at the first command, but they, had, they, they, weren't, they didn't have strategy yet for the second command of like, how do we love people outside of these walls? What do we do? We are really good at loving him and worshiping him, but how do we do the other stuff? So during this season, um, Pastor Bill, he, he shares this story. He shows up to the prayer meeting one night and there's this glass window right by, right outside the sanctuary. And this, he says this little roadrunner comes up and starts dancing outside and starts banging his head against the window like he's trying to get inside. And then someone comes up to Bill and says, oh, he's back. And Bill's like, what do you mean he's back? He's been here the last two weeks at every single prayer meeting. The roadrunner, he never shows up at the church services. He only wants to come to the prayer meeting. So... <laughs> So this, this went on for like a few months, I think, that uh, every time there was a prayer meeting, the roadrunner would come up, bang his head against the glass, run around and just stare at everyone praying. And Bill said, this is too weird to not be prophetic. <laughs> this, some things are just too weird. It's like God has to be speaking through this. So he went before the Lord. He, he talked to prophets. They got nothing, nothing, no, no interpretation. There was nothing. So um, they were building a prayer house at the time. And when the roadrunner road runner would go during the day, perch itself on a boulder, a ledge, and begin just watching them build this prayer house all day. He would stay there all day. And then one day, I don't know how, but the roadrunner not only got inside the church, but made his way up the stairs to the children's room. <laughs> And the janitor was cleaning the children's room one day and the roadrunner's there and the janitor just decides, I'm gonna put worship music on. I'm just gonna pray and worship here. And the roadrunner sits in front of the, the janitor and just stares at him while he's worshiping and praying. This is, I'm not making this up. This is a true story. So the, the janitor starts, you know, he goes downstairs and, you know, cleans the rest of the church. The roadrunner's following him everywhere. And finally, Someone uh, in the offices abruptly opens a door and scares the roadrunner. The roadrunner runs as fast as he can into the glass window and dies. He dies. I'm sorry, you animal lovers. He didn't get raised from the dead either, so I know you're attached to him right now. He's dead. <laughs> they tried to raise him. It didn't work. So, but Finally, Pastor Bill finally heard distinctly from the Lord. And this is what he felt the Lord said. He said, if what I am doing inside the church stays inside the church, then it will end up dying inside of the church. Saying, if you want this to grow, take it outside the walls. And I believe prophecy is one of the greatest tools we use to get what God does here on Sunday and takes that flame out there on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. If what I am doing inside the house stays in the house, it will die in the house. I'm not an extrovert. 
I do not naturally have that thing in me that wants to pray over every single person I see in the restaurant. That is not me, but that does not excuse me from the command of evangelism. See, we are not all called to be evangelists, the office of evangelists, but we are all called to evangelize. And, and I, just because I'm an introvert does not excuse me from walking in the Great Commission, all right? But when I'm hot here and I'm stewarding it here, I go out here and minister. And guess what? I want to suggest it actually increases the flame inside the house because I'm stewarding it well outside the house. That is, he, he's a God of expansion and increase. So uh, I know that was a long intro, but I, I want to talk this morning. I want to give pillars of prophecy. I want to give just really non-negotiable truths uh, about uh, how we are a prophetic people. How do we walk in prophecy? What is prophecy and how do we do it? And before I give you those three pillars, I just kind of want to go back and define what this big topic called prophecy is. So we can put that, that first slide up. What is prophecy? What is prophecy? So prophecy, oh, let me get over here. <laughs> prophecy defined is both foretelling, you're telling the future and it's foretelling. You are causing the future. So it's foretelling, telling the future. This is similar to Joseph in Egypt. He received the prophetic dream that there would be a famine and he had prophetic insight on how to prepare for the turbulent days ahead. And Pastor David and I were talking about uh, prophets right now giving prophetic words about prepare, prepare, prepare. And these could be perceived as prophecies uh, given out in, in alarm, but the prophetic is not to alarm us, it's to alert us to the days ahead. And it's both foretelling, you are causing the future. This is like what uh, the book of Ezekiel, when the Lord said, he didn't say, suggest these bones come alive. He didn't say, ask these bones to come alive. He said, command them to come alive. And I wanna suggest that your words create worlds. The prophecies you declare, it creates worlds around you. So prophecy is both foretelling. You are telling the future and foretelling, causing the future. Third thing I have here is prophecy is a gift. It's not an award. Prophecy is a gift. It's not an award. That means you can't do anything to earn it. It's a gift for a reason. How do you get a gift? You ask for the gift. It's not based on your merit. It's not based on even your character. And we're gonna be talking about that, the difference between the fruits of the spirit and the gifts of the spirit. Prophecy is calling out the gold in the midst of the dirt of people's lives. When Emily and I were living in California, um, it's beautiful there. The walking trails, they had beautiful streams and we found this really cool walking trail and there was this stream we saw. And uh, how many of you know California is known for gold in, in the hills? And um, it was a cloudy day, but right when the clouds would part and the sunlight would hit this stream, all the dirt in the stream began to light up with flakes of gold. We could actually see as the light hit this dirt, flakes of gold would just light up. And we spent a couple hours there at that stream, just grabbing our hand in the dirt, holding it up to the light and just seeing these tiny, tiny flakes of gold. They were so small, but they were gold. And so we would pick out every single piece of gold we could find and just kind of toss away the dirt. And we did this for a couple hours. And I wanna suggest that is what prophecy is. When you take the dirt of someone's life and hold it up to the light of his presence, 
you pick out the gold and throw away the dirt. It's calling out the gold in a person's life. Anyone can call out dirt, right? <laughs> Anyone can do that. But it takes nearness to the heart of God, to the light of his presence, to see the gold in people's lives and call it out. I was uh, with the youth a few weeks ago, um, beginning this series on prophecy. And we like to do what we call encounter nights where we have times of vulnerability where the youth just kind of open up and share what they're going through. And we just kind of love bomb them. We just tell them who they are in Christ and what God has spoken over them. And this time I said, me and Emily aren't gonna be the ones doing the love bomb, you're gonna do it. And so one by one, each, each student stepped up and said, this is who God says you are. This is who you are. This is who you are. And I said, okay, you don't realize this, but I just tricked you into prophesying because you just called out the gold in their lives. You just got so close to the heart of God that you began calling out the gold in their lives. We've established that prophecy is what? Exhortation, consolation, edification. It's uniting those back to the heart of God. And that's how simple prophecy is. That's how simple it is to hear the voice of God. Prophecy, calling out the gold. And I didn't put a slide to this, but I wanna talk really quickly on the importance of God's word, the capital W with our prophetic words, the lowercase w, okay? The, the, the word of God is so crucial when we're delivering prophetic words. And, and I wanna read this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It says this, about matters of the spirit. Brothers, I do not want you to be unaware. In verse four, it says, now there are different gifts, but the same spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. There are different activities, but the same God. Do you notice a trend here? The word same is coming up. God, the same God is active in everyone and everything. A manifestation of the spirit is given to each person to produce what is beneficial. To one is given a message of wisdom through the spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by, this, by the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit, and to another, the gifts of healing by one spirit. To another, performing of miracles, to another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, different kinds of languages to another. Interpretation of languages, but one and the same spirit is active in all these, distributing to each one as he wills. So it's really important for us to understand Paul is writing this to a group of Corinthians who are just coming out of a pagan lifestyle, which paganism, they were polytheists, meaning they had many gods. So like they had a God for the sun, they had a God for the ocean, they had this polytheistic mind. And so these, these, this group of Corinthians are now born again, they're living for Jesus and they're having explosive amounts of the gifts of the spirit coming out. And it's legitimate. It is the Holy Spirit that's moving through them and in them. And there's tongues happening. There's, there's prophecy happening. There's all these things happening, but in their minds, they're thinking since it's prophecy, then there must be a God of prophecy. Or since it's tongues, it must be the God of tongues. And that's, so that's why Paul is going over and over saying, no, it's different spirits under one Holy Spirit. It's all these manifestations, but it's under the umbrella of one Holy Spirit. In other words, they had the experience right, but their theology was way off. And I wanna suggest to us in terms of the gifts, gifts of the spirit, we don't have the luxury of choosing between the experience of God and the word of God. 
they go hand in hand. We need the right experience. And we also need the capital W, the word of God to understand why is this experience happening? What is God saying through this? So we need both the, the experience of the supernatural and the word of God, the pillars of his promise, the, the, the principles of his word. And I, I said this a few weeks ago, but if we are not building a daily relationship with this word, we are at risk of building a golden calf thinking it's a lamb. He's calling us to be people of his word. And, and there is no more accurate way to prophesy than to prophesy what God has said in his word. <laughs> There's no more way, accurate way to prophesy what God has said than his word. What, is, what does his word say? And I wanna say, if someone gives you a prophetic word, a, a lowercase w word, that goes against the capital W word, you have every right to throw that word away <laughs> if it does not line up with the capital W word. Prophesy from the word. A few verses down here in 1 Corinthians, in verse 29, Paul said, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all do miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in languages? Do all interpret? But desire the greater gifts. And I will show you an even better way. And then directly after that, he goes into chapter 13. How many of you know there were no chapter breaks whenever this was written? So many of us think chapter 13 is just that chapter all about the marriage, all about love. And, and it's the thing we recite at marriages. But he, he is giving this love chapter in the context of the spiritual gifts. And so when I read that love is patient, love is kind. I like to read it in the context of the spiritual gifts. And so we can put that next slide up and this is how I like to read it. I like to replace every word that says love with prophecy. Prophecy is patient. Prophecy is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Prophecy does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. And I want to suggest that prophecy outside of the context of love is not prophecy. It turns into fallacy. It must be in the confines of love. Prophecy is patient. Prophecy is kind. We can go to the next slide. Why do we prophecy? Pro why do we prophecy? Why do we prophesy? <laughs> I get mixed up between the S and the C sometimes when I was typing this. So excuse my typos if, something's, if something doesn't look right. Why do we prophesy? I want to suggest that the goal of prophecy is not to prophesy. I believe that is obviously one of the main goals, but in Ephesians 4.11, it says this, and he has appointed some with grace to be apostles, some with grace to be prophets, and their calling, so this is the purpose of prophecy, is to nurture and prepare all the holy believers to do their works of ministry. And I wanna suggest prophetic ministry is not pointing people to me, it's about empowering others to walk in their gifts and callings. Many people think, the office of prophet is the highest calling, but really Paul says the foundation of everything is the apostles and the prophets. It's not the highest, it's the lowest calling because you are called to empower others to operate in their spiritual gifts. It's not pointing people to you, it's pointing people to him and empowering them and their spiritual gifts. That's prophecy. 
1 Corinthians 14.1, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the spirit, especially the gifts of prophecy. Yeah. I've heard it said before that some people say, I don't want great gifts, I just want great fruit. And that, that sounds really great, it sounds really holy, but <laughs> the gifts go with the fruit. We can't separate them. The gifts go with the fruit. And I want to suggest it's actually selfish of us to not desire the gifts of the Spirit. Why? Because the gifts of the Spirit are not for us. They're for the people who need them. Who needs the gift of prophecy most? The one who's discouraged and who needs to connect with God. Who needs the gift of healing most? The one who needs healing. And so to say that I don't want the gifts is actually selfishness because when you walk in the gifts, it's not for you. It's about pointing people to Jesus. It's actually selfish to not want the gifts of the spirit. And so we can go to the next slide. I wanna talk about the gifts of the spirit versus the fruit of the spirit. You know, what's incredibly sobering to me is that it is very possible to walk in the gifts of the spirit your entire lives, yet never have an intimate relationship with Jesus. It is very possible. And Matthew 7, 21, Jesus says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And I just wanna say someone who has the gift of prophecy does not mean they have the fruit of the spirit. It does not mean, it is not an indication that they have a strong relationship with the Lord. Never follow someone just because of their gifts. They need the fruit and the gifts. Did Jesus say you'll know them by their gifts? you'll know them by their what? Their fruits. It's their fruit. And that's why I pray this prayer I learned from Mike Bickle. Lord, shock me now. Don't shock me in the throne room. If there's anything in my life right now that is lukewarm, that is not pleasing to you, I ask you, shock me now. I don't wanna be shocked in eternity, Lord. Shock me now. When the gifts of the spirit move through an unholy and ungodly person, he is confirming his word. He is not confirming the vessel the word flows through. It's really important to know. Really important to know. He's not confirming the, the, the person. He's confirming the person or the word, the person. Ah, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> and you might, you might ask, why does the Lord do this? Why does, he, why does he move through people who have terrible character? Why do the gifts manifest even when people have a terrible relationship with the Lord? And I wanna suggest that the Lord so longs to touch and reach people that he does not mind overriding our character to get to them. He does not mind overriding our character and immaturity to touch people. That's how much he longs to touch the world. The fruit of the spirit is cultivated. See, the gifts of the Spirit, you can ask right now and get the gifts of the Spirit, but the fruit you cannot get in a moment. That comes through time in the prayer closet. You need to get the shovel, the plow, metaphorically speaking, the shovel, and dig in the prayer closet, and that's where fruit is cultivated. That's where fruit is grown. It's cultivated. It's not activated in a moment. It takes time. 
I've never planted something and seen it instantly <laughs> shoot up. It takes time. It takes the Lord. And I believe that the Lord is raising up a people right now who are walking in both the power of God and the purity of God. We don't have to choose one or the other. Do I want the power or the purity? We can walk in both the power and the purity of God. We don't have the luxury of choosing which one. It's both. We've seen a lot of power with not much purity. We've seen purity with not much power. We need both. It's both of them. We can go to the next slide. So how do I prophesy? <laughs> Prophecy 101, really simple. I said this, ask for it. It's that simple. I wish I could come up with something deeper to say than that, but it's that simple. Ask for it. Eagerly desire the gifts, especially prophecy. So here in the scripture, Paul is saying, desire all of them, but more than all these gifts, Put prophecy at your number one. Make that your number one gift to desire. It's part of my daily prayer routine. When I come before the Lord, I ask him every day, Lord, fill me with an increased measure of the gifts of the spirit, especially the gift of prophecy. I pray that scripture, Lord, I pray for an increased measure of the gift of prophecy to flow through my life. Start integrating this in your prayer time. Start asking this in your prayer time regularly because there's not just one infilling of the Holy Spirit. There's multiple infillings of the Holy spirit okay be okay with failing and getting it wrong there there's there's safety in failing there's safety in getting it wrong and right here i have faith is spelled r-i-s-k you might say no it's not it's f-a-i-t-h uh, yeah work with me i'm, I'm trying so <laughs> to walk in prophecy you must be willing to take risks you must be willing to take risks. I remember our first day of Bible school. First day, we're all nervous and room full of 1,200 students. Chris Valentin, he, the, the leader of the school, he gets up and says, okay, I want every single person in this room to find someone they don't know, which we didn't know anybody in the room. Nobody knew anybody. So he said, find someone, and I want you to prophesy their mother's name and the birthplace of their mother, where their mother was born. It's like, what the heck did I get into? So obviously no one in that group of 1,200 got it wrong, but he said the goal is not to get it right. The goal is to be okay with failing. <laughs> the goal is to be okay with stepping out and failing. And I wanna suggest to learn prophecy, you're gonna, mi you're gonna miss it. <laughs> you're gonna get it wrong. Keep going at it, keep working at it. It's like learning a new language. There was another time in Bible school where I was in a prophetic activation session and the, the, the leader said, okay, I want you to find someone. Here we go, an activation session. I want you to ask the Lord for a word of knowledge through smell about a prophetic word over this person. I'm like, they've lost their minds through smell. This isn't gonna work. So I'm like, okay, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. I'm gonna risk. So I asked the Lord, Lord, Holy Spirit, give me a smell. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. In that moment, I started to smell dollar bills. You know the smell of money? I started to smell like, it's as if someone took a dollar bill and put it right in front of my nose. I'm like, and then immediately I saw the word business flash across my, my mind, my radar. And immediately I just said, do you have passion for business? And his eyes lit up and said, oh my gosh, this morning I was just asking the Lord for confirmation for me starting my own business. And he spoke to me through that, that, that word of knowledge. Don't put God in a box. He can speak through our senses. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. It's like learning a new language. 
Anybody ever tried to learn a new language before? I love learning Spanish. I married Emily. She, she speaks Spanish fluently, but the thing is about Emily, she hates speaking Spanish because she feels like uh, you don't like it, right? She, you feel like you're gonna get made fun of because you have a gringa accent, right? And so I try to practice with Emily. And so one, a couple of weeks ago, I was here in the offices and a few electricians came in to do some work and I could tell they didn't speak English very well. And so I was like, should I try to speak Spanish? Should I try it? I was like, I want to try it, but I feel I'm going to be embarrassed. I'm, I'm going to be embarrassed. So I didn't do it at first. And then they come to my office and I kind of show them what's going on with, with the, the outlets. And I try to explain to them what's happening in English. And he just says, sir, I don't speak any English. I'm going to get my translator out. And then I said, I'm going to go for it. And I just said, mi esposa está aquí, ella habla español. <laughs> Which I said, my wife is here. She can speak Spanish. Let me go get her. <laughs> and their eyes got all big. And they said, oh, wow, your husband, he's a white boy. And he can just speak Spanish like that. <laughs> But prophecy is much like learning that new language. You got to take risk. You got to take risk. Practicing prophecy. <laughs> we can go to the next slide. All right. I want to give you really quick three parts to prophecy. First one, obviously, is the revelation. What did God say? What did he say? Second thing is the interpretation. What does it mean? And I want to say this, just because God gives you the revelation does not mean he also gave you the interpretation. <laughs> so many, many prophetic people can sometimes stumble right here because it's like, you feel like you're on a roll. You get the revelation and it's like, you feel like you have to force the interpretation and it just kind of fizzles out. And part of the, the fun of when you give someone a revelation is that it's up to them to go seek the heart of God on the interpretation. Don't take that away from someone unless God has given you the interpretation because that is all, that's like fuel for them to have a stronger relationship with the Lord. When they take that and say, I'm gonna go and seek out the gold God is calling me to seek in his presence. So just because you have the revelation doesn't mean you also have the interpretation. Third thing, application. How does this word apply to me? And what I always like to do, if I've been given like a huge prophecy, I like to submit it to leaders, submit it to whether it's a pastor or elder or trusted friends and say, how should I walk this out? Uh, what, what is some godly wisdom? How do I apply this to my life? That's application. Slide seven, we can go to the next one. I think Pastor Nicole touched on this, but briefly, there's a big difference between the gift of prophecy and the office of a prophet. See, not everyone is called to be a prophet, but we are all called to prophesy. And the gift of prophecy, that's something I desire. That's something you can ask for. The office of a prophet is not something I get to choose. That's something Jesus chooses for me. I don't choose my destiny. I discover my destiny and I discover my calling. So uh, you can't go to school to become a prophet. You can't go to ministry school to become one or to learn how to be one. You can go to school to perfect the gift, to form the gift, but uh, the prophetic office is, is discovered. It, it's not, you can't ask for it. It's something that's predestined, preordained before the foundations of the earth. The office of a prophet is a calling. It's something he desires, not with something I desires. Uh, I'm going to go to slide eight. This is really quick. I got this from Havila Cunnington. How many of you have ever heard of Havila Cunnington? So 
she has four prophetic personalities that I want to put up here. Four prophetic personalities. You can actually go online and take this uh, prophetic personalities quiz. Is it coming up? I can just give them to you. So number one, the knower, the knower. And I like, as an example of, of the knower, I like to look at Apostle Paul. You know, if you read Acts, he just always had this knowing of where to go. It's like, you, you have just this deep knowing in your heart. You're not hearing anything. You're not feeling anything. You have just this knowing that I know the word of the Lord is this. I know God is saying this in the room. I know someone needs to be healed right here. That's the knower. Second one is the hearer. And of course, I like to think of Samuel. It's you hear the voice, not only the audible voice of God, but you hear the voice in your heart. There's almost like this whisper of God, God whispering to your heart. Third one is the seer. That means you, God speaks to you by seeing pictures in your mind or seeing visions. And uh, it's rare, but some people have open visions of the Lord. And that is the seer. An example of this is Joseph. God spoke to him through dreams. Not only Joseph in the Old Testament, but Joseph in the New Testament. God spoke to him through dreams. Paul saw visions. Solomon, God visited him through dreams. The fourth one is the feeler. The feeler. That means... You feel the Lord. You know what God is doing in the room by, based on what you're feeling. And sometimes you may walk in a room, you were happy when you came in and you're sad when you came in here. Maybe there's someone in the room struggling with depression. And, and instead of taking that feeling as your own, you might wanna say, oh wait, that's not mine. That's, that's someone else in here. Maybe there's a word of knowledge. So those are the four uh, prophetic personalities uh, that I got from Havala Cunnington. <laughs> All right. I wanna go through now um, the rest of my time, three pillars for the prophecy, three, three pillars of what prophecy uh, really hinges upon. And the first one is the pillar of identity. The pillar of identity. You know, growing up, I like to play outside a lot. You, you can't tell, but I was pretty athletic. I played sports. <laughs> and um, when I was playing outside, Obviously you get thirsty. And I was one of those kids that I would go to the water hose outside and drink from the water hose. Anybody else did that? There was this one specific water hose that my dad said, never drink out of this water hose. Uh, the reason is we had, we had this pond uh, growing up um, right in our backyard. And from time to time, my dad would pump that pond out using that hose. And so all this junk, this algae, nasty stuff, like whatever, would come through that hose. And I always knew never hook that hose up to drink water from. Yeah. And the problem was not so much the purity of the water, but it was the funnel the water was flowing through that contaminated the water. And, and, and I want to suggest that, that the gift of prophecy is like a river flowing through us, and we are the funnels. And if we have fractures in our funnel, if we have church hurt, pain, offense, then that water will flow through and it will come out with tainted and contaminated based on our personality. See, the, the, the goal is not to see how pure is the water from Holy Spirit, it's how does my soul look? How much inner healing do I need right now? How, what, what's going on in here? Because that water, that flow of the Lord, that flow of the prophetic will come out and it will be filtered through the lens of our soul, through whatever church hurt, whatever pain, whatever offense we're dealing with. And that's why it's so necessary for us as believers to make sure we are whole, to have inner healing in our hearts. 
Pastor David shared last week, pride will not stop the flow of the prophetic, but it will distort the flow of the prophetic. It will not stop it, but it will distort it. Emily and I moved into our, our new house we, like two years ago now, but the, the time we celebrated our first year anniversary in the house, uh, we noticed our water pressure was really low. Like uh, the, the faucets, the bathtub, water was just barely trickling out through our faucets. And we had this plumber come out and he opened our faucets and all this dirt and sediment just started flowing out of our faucets. And when he cleaned it all out, our water pressure came back almost instantly. And it's because there was so much new building happening in our neighborhood that all this dirt and sediment and sand was getting into our, our, our pipes. And the plumber said, what you need to do is you need to get a water filtration system that meets the water right before it goes into the veins of your house. Right when it gets it, it filters out all that junk so that the rest of the house will run uh, purely and that it runs as, in, as it is intended to run. And, and, and for many of us, we can't stop pain from coming, right? That dirt comes to the doorstep of our heart. We need the Holy Spirit, the filters to say, no, you're not coming in here. You're not coming in here. Because if that junk, if it rests and lingers, then it becomes cellular within us and it affects our personalities. It's one thing to have a moment where offense comes and you have a moment of pride, but don't let it fester because it'll go from just being at the doorstep of your heart to becoming part of your personality. And so with the Holy Spirit, we stop it right there. No, I cannot afford any fractures in the, my, in the funnel of my heart. I need the flow of the prophetic flowing through me rightly. That's why inner healing is so, so needed. It's so needed. Ephesians 3.11, the passion, it says, is it possible that fresh and bitter water can flow out of the same spring? Is it possible that fresh water and bitter water can flow through the same spring? So neither can a bitter spring produce fresh water. I believe to be a people of prophecy, the Lord is calling us to only have fresh water coming out of the fountain of our hearts, of our mouths. It's really that, that important. I've realized some of the most prophetic people can also be some of the most critical people. <laughs> you know, what do prophets do? They look for the gold. What is the unredeemed side of the prophetic ministry to look for the dirt? The critical spirit, I wanna suggest, is the unredeemed side of the gift of prophecy. They call out the dirt. And I wanna suggest that the flow of the prophetic in our lives is only as healthy as the vessel it flows through. In other words, our effectiveness in, our, in the prophetic is no greater than the measure of inner healing that we have and walk through. The lead counselor at Bethel, his name was Jason Vallotton. He, he shared the story of this inner healing session he was walking this man through. And at Bethel, we call it sozos. It means save, healed, and delivered, uh, spiritually, emotionally, physically. And he had this, this young man in his office. This young man had, had just, uh, to be frank, he just had an, had an affair with his wife, had an affair and cheated on his wife almost two years into the marriage. Uh, I'm not sorry, it's two years, two months into the marriage. And the first thing Jason asked him is, what was your relationship with your father like? And immediately he starts saying, well, my father used to, when I was a young boy, he used to tie me up to a tree and beat me. And he would tell me that that's love. 
that he loved me. So can you, you can imagine the foundation of this young man's life as a young boy, he is taught love equals pain. Love equals pain. And so he grows up, you know, gets born again, yet underneath all of this glory that's happening at Bethel, he has this pain that is so buried deep, deep inside of him that the funnel of God is not flowing rightly through him. And he subconsciously, once he got married to an awesome woman, subconsciously in his head, what is love? Love equals pain. So me causing pain to my wife tells her that I love her. So he subconsciously uh, cheated, had an affair, thinking I'm loving my wife through this. Now he's sitting in a counseling session, getting free. And so Jason said, okay, we've identified the root. I want you to go back to that moment, to go back to the emotions of that moment when you were a little boy. And I want you to verbalize how it made you feel. So at first he just says, uh, I feel sad, I feel sad. He's like, your dad tied you up to a tree and beat you. Tell, tell your dad if he was here how you feel. And he just begins screaming the top of his lungs, just, dad, I can't believe you did this to me. I can't believe just pain was just coming out. What was happening? All that dirt and sand was getting flushed out. Then after he was done, he said, I want you to ask Holy Spirit, how does Jesus see my dad? And the Lord gave him this picture of his dad when he was a young boy who has never loved himself. And so seeing his dad through the lens of Jesus, he was able to properly forgive his dad. Get the pain out, ask Jesus, where are you in this pain? And he's healed. <laughs> and I believe he was able to be restored with his wife and, and, and operate uh, healed and whole. And I just say all that to say that inner healing is so important. Some of you may, after this, go sit with the Lord and give yourself a sozo session, just you and Jesus. I've asked the Holy Spirit, are there any areas in my heart that need pain that I'm not even aware of? It could be decades ago, but, the, but we can't afford to have fractures in our hearts to where, where God is taking us. We can't afford it. The measure of his glory. It's so great where he's taking this house, this body, that we must have a, a stable foundation here because when we have pain in our hearts, it's almost like dirt getting into cement, cement like uh, concrete. It weakens the, the, it weakens the foundation. And so when you put something on that foundation, a weight, it will crack. And so we must have a, a heart of inner healing that can sustain the weight of glory that's coming. Second thing. I want to talk about the pillar of stewardship, the pillar of stewarding the word. You know, anytime I get a massive prophecy, my, my typical first response is not, wow, that's so awesome. My typical first response is, wow, that's a lot of responsibility. <laughs> like I'm going to be held accountable in the throne room to how I respond to this if it is a true word from God. And I believe there's something really strongly to be said about the pillar of stewardship, of stewarding the word. I heard it said before that God is obligated to fulfill every promise he gives us, but he is not obligated to fulfill our potential for the promise. He's obligated to fulfill the promise, but the potential is up to me, co-laboring with him, stewarding this word. And I want to suggest that prophecies are not so much guarantees as much as they are invitations for us to co-labor with God in the secret place, to labor over the words and see them birthed out. And I believe there's, there's two extremes here that in stewarding the word. There's number one, the extreme of passivity. 
that just says, oh, I got the word. If God wants it to happen, it'll just happen. And I can just sit back and do whatever I want. (laughs) And then on the other hand, there's the extreme of striving where we try to force it to happen. We, we push, it's all flesh. It's, it's just the flesh trying to make it happen. And Abraham received a word, we all know this, that he would be the father of many nations, that he would have a, a child. And what did he do? He, he operated in striving and slept with Hagar and birthed Ishmael. And scripture says that once the true promise was born Isaac, Ishmael would mock and antagonize Isaac. And what's the implication? What we birth in the flesh will always antagonize what God births in the spirit. Don't birth something in the flesh through striving. Birth it in the spirit through co-laboring with the Lord. And I believe the steward prophecy rightly. We must live in the tension of both. We must live in the tension of you said it and you're gonna do it. And I'm not gonna just sit back on the bench. I'm gonna be on the field. I'm gonna be in the game with you in the place of prayer, groaning over my prophecy. See, some of us don't have any, any, any idea of what to pray sometimes. If I don't know what to pray, I get my phone out and go to my words and say, oh, here's my list of prophecies. I'm gonna pray these out right now. Here at Monday morning prayer, if you don't know what to pray, get your prophetic words. If you don't have any prophetic words, get in the Bible and get one for yourself. It's filled with hundreds of promises. Find one for yourself. I remember growing up, you know, I grew up in church my whole life and uh, anytime there would be prophetic moments that would, that would come and people would get word after word and I wasn't the one to get a word. I would always leave almost borderline depressed thinking I'm terrible. God, God didn't call me out today. And you know, when I would go home and sit with the Lord, I, I would realize that God wasn't giving me any new words because I hadn't properly stewarded the words he had already given me. <laughs> See in the kingdom, I believe we attract whatever we value. So you might see people who like, they always get a word. I wanna suggest maybe they value the words they already have and God is adding more to them. <laughs> and, and, and that's the scripture in, in Mark, Mark 4, 24. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You'll get more and even more will be added to you. But for whoever has will be given more, but whoever does not have, whoever is not valuing and not stewarding, even what you have will be taken from you. You might say, that's not fair. Well, that's the kingdom. It's a kingdom of expansion and increase. And we see this even in the gift of healing. Jesus said, what was the word? You will do even greater things than I'm doing. So what what do we see? We see uh, Paul in his life. First, we see Jesus. A lady comes up to him, touches his robe, and she gets healed. And then what's the increase of that? Paul, they take the robe of Paul, throw it on someone and they get healed. What's the increase of that? Peter, no part of his body is touching this person, no part of his clothing, but the mere shadow of his clothes touches a man and heals him while he's walking to a prayer meeting. It's the increase. He's a God of increase and expansion, increasing what we have. We attract whatever we value. I know many preachers that walk in just an extraordinary uh, gift of revelation. And there's people that I know that walk in an extraordinary gift of, of prophecy. And I wanna suggest, yes, the Lord gave them the gift of revelation and prophecy, but I also wanna suggest the reason they walk in a high level of that is because they have a high value for it and it attracts more from heaven. 
you know, we were looking for a new car uh, like last year and I wanted a Mazda CX-5. That's what I wanted. I still haven't got it yet, but I will get it one day. But I remember spending so much time going through my phone, looking at all the specs, looking at all these pictures of Mazda CX-5s over and over again. I was dreaming about Mazda CX-5s in my sleep. And I remember when I, when I would get on the road, I would start seeing Mazda CX-5s everywhere. <laughs> Any of you ever had that? That happened. And it's not that they weren't there before. It's like, I start to see them now when I didn't see them before because I have a higher value for them. And I want to suggest that prophecy works the same way, that there is gold waiting for you right here. Just value it more and you'll see it more. We attract whatever we value. He's a God of increase and expansion. I want to say this, treasure the word, but don't boast in the words that you've been given. The value you place on a prophetic word determines the power you receive from the word. I believe every word that we're given has a, a level of nutrients that we need that will take us into the next season. How many of you remember Jesus uh, after he was baptized, the word over him was, you are the son of God. Directly after that, guess what? He was right in the wilderness. And the question was, are you, if you the son of God? First of all, prophecies always attract opposition. <laughs> And the prophetic word you get in one season becomes the nutrients you feed from in the desert season. He, he was able to extract every nutrients he could from that word to carry him through that season. And he treasured it. And when the angel appeared to Mary in, in, the, in the gospels, it said Mary treasured and valued the word in her heart. She pondered it. She meditated on it. And what I can learn from this is when you have a treasured word from the Lord, Never cast your pearls among swine. <laughs> there are some prophetic words that don't need to be shared publicly. There are some prophetic words that, that lose their effect between me and the Lord if I expose them publicly. How many of you know uh, Hezekiah? He was an incredible king. He had this, the opportunity to be as great of a reformer as David. But where was his downfall? He exposed the hidden treasures of his kingdom to foreign kings, and that's what his downfall was. In other words, he treated as common what God deemed holy. To be a prophetic people, we cannot treat as common the treasures God gives us. We must treat them as holy. They lose their effect if we blast them everywhere. Some things, some things it's okay, but some things need to be only between you and the Lord or else they'll lose their effect. So stewarding prophecies in warfare, I wanna hit on this. First Timothy uh, chapter 18 is probably my favorite scripture on the prophetic. And uh, I love just the books of first and second Timothy because these are some of the last books Paul writes actually. And he, he's a spiritual father who is seasoned, who is towards the end of his race. And he's giving words of wisdom to this young man that is just beginning his time in ministry. And so if you're ever in a place where you're like, I need, I need a word from the Lord about mentorship, read first and second Timothy. And so Paul is giving Timothy these words of wisdom on how to take care of yourself before you take care of churches. Because Timothy has a responsibility. For kings and leaders, he's the he has the responsibility of churches. And he, when you have a great responsibility, you cannot afford to have fractures in your heart. 
You cannot afford to have dark places in your heart or else the responsibility will crush you and you'll fall into sin or whatever it may be. And so Paul is basically telling Timothy, like the airlines, we, the airline videos, put your mask on before you put others' mask on. He's giving him a recipe for how, to, for how to take care of himself. And the key to the recipe is keeping the prophetic words afresh in your heart. That's how you take care of yourself. So First Timothy 1.18, he says, so Timothy, my son, I am entrusting you with this responsibility. Notice prophecy is a responsibility, not a luxury in keeping with the very first prophecies that were spoken over your life and are now in the process of fulfillment in this great work of ministry. In keeping with the prophecies spoken over you, with this encouragement, use your prophecies as weapons. There it is. As you wage spiritual warfare by faith and with a clean conscience. By faith and with a clean conscience. The fruit... I love this, of keeping with the prophetic words is a clear mind. See, when we are in warfare, when you are in warfare, you cannot afford to have a conscience that is accusing you in times of warfare. You need it to be warring for you, not against you when you're in warfare. And he's giving him this blueprint, this recipe. The worst thing you can do is go through the valley of shadows with a conscience that is accusing you and chattering at you. That's what a comprised conscience does. And and I love prophecy because the Lord, this is how I see it. I'll use Gideon, for example. The Lord comes to Gideon in Judges 6 and says, uh, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And at that time, Gideon was not a mighty warrior. (laughs) But with prophecy, what I believe, the Lord can see your life from the beginning all the way to the end. And I believe he goes into your future takes a snapshot of what you will become and hands it to you in your present and says, you are going to need this to war to get to there. (laughs) This is how I see you on the other side of this. Use this as ammo, ammunition to keep a clear mind, to keep a clear conscience. So when the Lord gives me a word or whenever I'm going through a battle or a tough time, I always say, I need to hear a word from the Lord because as long as I get the word, as long as I know you see me like this on the other side, I'll be okay. As long as I have something, a scripture or a prophecy that says, you see me on the other side of this, I can war with this now. I have ammunition that I can fight with. I, I was going through a, a time several years ago, uh, a season of ministry uh, where I was really attacked mentally, going through a time of mental attack. And so when I was young, when I was seven, one of the words over me was uh, that the Lord would make me a leader. And so growing up, I always just had that at the back of my mind. And so now here I am in the season of ministry. And um, there was a specific leader in my life who uh, was, had great intentions, was trying to speak into me. And um, I was just trying to find my place. Where do I belong? Where do I belong? And this leader said, Tanner, <laughs> you are a great assistant. There's not much leadership on your life, but you're great at assisting. Just focus on that. And me already having a weak conscience, that crushed me. As someone I esteemed as a, as a, as a leader, as a mentor, it, it absolutely crushed me. And I, I sat around for a little bit, uh, just kind of like, okay, I guess I'm not a leader. That's the label put over me. And, and, and finally, I realized that 
I was reducing my life to this person's opinion of me. <laughs> Never reduce your life to someone's opinion over you. And I said, oh my gosh, I can't live like this anymore. And the Lord said, go get your ammunition. <laughs> so I would get that word, Lord, I thank you. You've called me to be a leader. I would groan over the word over and over and over again. Lord, I thank you. This is what you've called me to be. This is what's on my life. I thank you. And little by little, it didn't break instantly, but chip away at that lie every day, expose it and you'll be free from it <laughs> and it will break. And I got freedom from it by warring with the pr prophetic word. And we've, we talked about this, but Psalms 103.20 says this, bless the Lord, all you, his angels who carry out his word, or in other words, enforce his word. Yeah. And I, I, I believe that every single word that originates from the throne of God given to you as a prophecy, I believe every single word has an aroma to it. There's a scent or a fragrance that every word has that when we bring up the word, Get with the Lord and pray it and say it out loud. The angels can recognize that is the same scent that we have in heaven. Let's act on it. Let's move on it. Let's war on behalf of this word. And I wanna suggest that there are many unemployed angels because there are believers who don't speak their words out. <laughs> speak the word, pray the word, groan over the word, steward the word of the Lord, steward the word. In 2 Corinthians, you know, we were talking about the warfare of the mind and how prophecies dismantle and dislodge that. In 2 Corinthians, Paul gives this, this analogy of this uh, almost like castle in your mind. This, there's this castle in your mind and, and every brick in that castle can either be a stronghold for darkness or a stronghold for the kingdom of light. And he talks, he says it right here. I want to read it. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedience, obedient to Christ. And what repentance does, it, I believe it goes into this fortress of our mind. Maybe you have a stronghold in your mind and it dismantles that brick, that place where the enemy can hide, distill, kill and destroy. And it removes it and it makes it obedient to Christ. And an, another way of saying this is, um, back in World War II, if you would take a Nazi soldier who is, who is trained to war against you, take him captive, not only take him captive, but make him obedient to the laws of the United States, then that soldier who was intended to war against you is now warring for you. I believe that's what happens when we renew our mind with the prophetic words, that that which was warring against you is now warring for you because you've, you've created truth there. You've replaced it with truth, replaced the lie with truth. I wanna just end here. I could have piano come up. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your beauty. We thank you for your presence right now. Last thing I wanna to touch on is the pillar of protocol. The pillar of protocol. I want us this morning just to understand the simplicity of prophecy, but just because something is simple and accessible does not mean we should treat it lightly doesn't mean we should be treating it lightly because with prophecy, God is entrusting us with the secrets of his heart. He's entrusting us with the deep secrets of his heart. And I believe we should walk softly with that. 
not flagrantly, but walk softly, carrying the secrets of God's heart. He's entrusting us with that responsibility. Pastor David mentioned briefly last week that uh, about order and with the gifts of the spirit and that we must be all willing to submit and be okay with being corrected and submit to the correction of the Lord. If we say something that is not the Lord, if he's not on it. And I've heard it said before to the measure you empower people is the measure you must be willing to confront and love. To the extent that you are empowered is the extent that you must be willing to be confronted and and corrected. And we're empowering everyone here to operate in the gift of prophecy and stewarding this word. And I wanna give some prophetic etiquette and protocol that I've learned in my life. You don't have to, you don't have to use this. If this doesn't resonate with you, just toss it. But these are just some prophetic etiquettes that I've used in my life because, you know, anytime I, I get up here, I realize that God is entrusting me with his bride, that it's not a light matter. And so with prophecy, God is entrusting you with his bride. He's entrusting you with souls. We must walk responsibly with the heart of God. And one of the prophetic protocols I use in my life is that when I feel like I have a word from the Lord, I I typically will never say, the Lord says this. or thus saith the Lord, I always try to cover the person and myself by saying, I feel like the Lord is saying this. I feel like God is saying this. I feel like he is showing me this. Why? Because you're covering that person's heart. If it so happens, you get it wrong. Not only that, but you're covering the reputation of our father. You're covering, you're carrying his name. You represent the father. Honor it, carry it rightly, carry it rightly. It's a big deal. It is a big deal to say the Lord says this. Like, I want us to have a weight to it in our minds. Like, you better be sure God is saying that. You better be sure because we have people's hearts that we are dealing with. Not only people's hearts, but it's the reputation of the one we love. We want the world to know that what he says is true. So walk softly with it protect the hearts. The second thing I want to mention in regards to the prophetic protocol and etiquette, don't see people as projects. (laughs) Don't look at a person as a project. Don't say, oh, I got a word. Let me see if it's right or not. Let me, I want to see, I want to just test the waters. No, that there's a soul behind that body. There's a soul there. It's not a project. Usually every time I prophesy, I want to know the person's name. What's your name? Or if anyone comes for prayer, what's your name? What's your name? It goes beyond the project of prophecy and it goes to the personal. The personal side of it is like, it helps you also, I believe, hear better from the Lord. What he's saying over that person, over over their heart. I said this, the goal of prophecy is not to point people to ourselves so we can put a feather in our caps that we got it right. It's, it's connecting people to the heart of God. Revelation says, it says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, not the testimony of Tanner. That's the spirit of prophecy. It's the testimony of Jesus. We're carrying his heart. Bill Johnson's dad used to, used to say this. He said, if you ever want to know why a person walks the way they do, take time to get low and wash their feet. If you want to know why a person walks the way they do, take time to get low and wash their feet. 
And I believe we should approach prophecy with humility, <laughs> with fear and trembling, because we're carrying his heart. We're carrying the heart of God. Last thing I wanna say, be more in love with Jesus than you are with the spiritual gifts he gives you. Don't, don't deify the gifts, okay? Don't deify the gift of prophecy. Don't deify the gifts. Make sure the main thing is still the main thing, loving him, honoring him, loving the Lord. Benny Hinn says, always worship before you lean on your gift. It will communicate to Jesus that you love him more than the gifts he gave you. Make sure your priorities are right. I'm hot here and out of that overflow, I'm here and the water flows through me. Can we stand? Thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church.